What would you give to increase sales by 8% of your restaurant? Restaurants leveraging the power of Yelp Guest Manager paired with Yelp ads enjoy up to an 8% monthly lift in diner bookings through Yelp. It makes sense, right? Millions of people use Yelp every day to find restaurants, and they're using that same trusted platform to book reservations and add themselves to wait lists. Your restaurant could be busier today. To learn more, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and quote podcast. Yelp Internal Data 2021. Based on average results from a sample study of restaurants with guest manager that purchased Yelp ads between April and July 2021 in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. Results may vary. Now here we go. Everything lives and dies in operations. And if you're creating something or you are evolving something, having to include operators as part of that discussion and conversation is key and critical. And that buy-in and that knowledge that comes from the people who experience and live it every day, day in, day out, are much more important than a lot of people give credit to. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up, on the house. How do you get better at doing anything? Practice makes perfect. And today's guest, Aaron Novishin, has over 30 years of experience in building big brands. It began with his own brand, World Wraps, and evolved into a restaurant building engine for entrepreneurs looking to win from day one. We sat down to discuss Starbird, his latest venture that fuses together the lessons he's learned from building countless brands for others and the latest restaurant tech available. World Wraps was the first time I got to apply my culinary knowledge as a fine dining chef and really combine that with my educational experience of having a business degree from Haas and surround myself with people who were dynamic, interesting, ready to do something different, right? And so it was really exciting to be able to scale fine dining food in what was just being created as a fast casual restaurant. No one had that terminology back in 1994, but we were really creating a convenient approach to elevated food. I mean, I remember creating a, you know, the very first Peking duck wrap at World Wraps and roasting duck legs in a little 24-inch oven and fine shredding scallions and making a, a hoisin sauce and eating this for the first time and saying, we're changing something here and people are loving this. And it was really inspiring. And I learned so much, you know, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes, I always find. I learned a lot about what you should and shouldn't do as you grow a company rapidly. The great thing is I was able to take forward so many amazing learnings with the great people who were my founding partners in that business, Eduardo being one, Keith Cox, who's my now 28 years running business partner. He and I started Pacific Catch together 19 years ago. And so just these amazing people and everyone who came out of that company is doing such incredible things today. And it just shows me that it was a special moment in time where a gathering of humanity occurred 
And we created something really special and really excited that Keith has taken it back over again and, and is regrowing the brand again today. So it's pretty exciting to see World Wraps growing again. I was fortunate enough to work with Keith and Matt and Martin with the World Wraps 2.0 and my company, The Culinary Edge, worked together with them to create the vision and the recipes for that second introduction. So 30 years later, after what was objectively a successful exit, you are all still running restaurants. <laughs> I know we're gluttons for punishment over here, but right? what shows you it's in our, it's it's crazy. In our blood, it's in our soul. I would say the majority of our leadership team is still involved in restaurants and hospitality today. And I want to do something crazy. I'm going to glaze over Pacific Catch entirely because we have so much to cover. But I want to dig right into Culinary Edge. What was the mission when you first started that company? Oh, my God. Well, I was a little ADD and, and <laughs> loved working on different things and was challenged to be focused. But our original tagline was innovative food operational solutions, right? And it was really this cross-section of how do you create the best food possible at scale and really figure out how to make food delicious in scale. And certainly we started new concepts at the Culinary Edge and we created, I don't know, 25 to 30 brands over the last 20 years at the Culinary Edge. But ultimately it was to help solve problems in the food and beverage industry. And as we've grown, it's really about creating the food experiences of tomorrow, right? We've really evolved in terms of how we work with creating brands and brand voices and brand architecture all the way through the operational platforms and the experiences that people have, starting with anticipating coming in all the way through the dining experience, whether they're eating in-house or taking something to go or having it delivered, and all the way through to the end of what are you throwing in the trash can or the compost bin? All those things are key and critical as part of the guest journey when it comes to food. Let's go back to the first thing you said, which was helping restaurateurs solve problems. What are common problems that, I mean, Lord knows we all have our beefs in this world, but like, what are the common problems that you found yourself tackling over and over again, especially in the early days? I think the biggest problem is sales. I always say to my team here and everyone, it's this, you know, sales cure all ills. And you can always engineer costs out of a concept. You can always lower food cost or create some productivity on the knowns, but you can't necessarily engineer sales in. So how do you create food and experiences that are relevant to the consumers that are ideally profitable in addition to being desirable. I want to talk about kind of the engine that is the culinary edge because I coach and I consult independent restaurants. And what I found is I learn as much as I teach. And the more I teach, the more I learn, right? And so you're in this situation where you're constantly building new brands. It's that university advantage where you're kind of learning, you're learning with other people's money, you're able to iterate time and time again. What are the big lessons that have come out of the last 20 years for you? I mean, everything comes back to people at the end of the day. And so 
one of the big aha moments is everything lives and dies in operations. And if you're creating something or you are evolving something, having to include operators as part of that discussion and conversation is key and critical. And that buy-in and that knowledge that comes from the people who experience and live it every day, day in, day out, are much more important than a lot of people give credit to. They may not have the creative solution, but they have the greatest level of empathy. And having that type of empathy, not only for the team members who are executing every day, but also the guests, is such a highly valuable thing. And so at the Culinary Edge, we are constantly focusing on empathy, right? Both for the team members who are executing and for the guests who are experiencing. What does that look like in practical application? Oh, my goodness. What are their pain points? What are their desires? What problems are being solved by the meal that's coming to them every day? You know, like, why is this relevant to them or their family or their place of work? What gets them excited? I was fortunate enough. We opened a Starbird restaurant yesterday in Los Angeles, our first brick and mortar restaurant in Hermosa Beach. And, you know, we're tracking sales every hour. Like, we're all guessing how we're going to do. I was really, really pleasantly surprised that I lost the pool and we had sales far superior to what I had predicted. And, you know, we're like, well, let's go out and celebrate. And we stumbled into foreign cinema last night and we, all the planets aligned and they gave us our favorite corner table, literally like, how was that even possible? And I said, well, tonight's night, you know, the empathy of the host was they felt that this was a special occasion and an understanding. And sure enough, we bought a bottle of vintage champagne and celebrated because you got to celebrate the wins when they come because everyone works so hard for it. And, and I like to celebrate them too and share them with my wife. Did you always feel that way? Did you always celebrate the wins or is that something you learned to do over time? I think that in the past, I would put a lot of pressure on myself and I probably worried a lot and tended to be a perfectionist on many things. And the aura that that would present wasn't always completely positive. And I have to remind myself every day to practice positivity. It's in the signature line of my <laughs> every single email, right? And it's just really important to me because that's the message I want to send to the world. And I want to celebrate in people's wins and to really take the time because to connect with my team members and my staff and my community, it's really important to have them win alongside and to just always take pause for it. And I can't say that I've done it as much as I do today. I really focus on celebrating wins and promoting positivity. And how have all of these lessons from Culinary Edge led to the creation of Starbird? What was the genesis of the restaurant? Yeah, so... Starbird was really founded, you know, the Culinary Edge had been operating for about 13 years, 14 years. And we were realizing that, A, we made a lot of people a lot of money. We had delivered on promise for many, many restaurateurs and restaurant companies. I mean, to this date, we've worked with 30% of the top 200 restaurant chains in America, seven of the top 10 global food and beverage companies. And we've really been able to do for others a lot. And we have a great team of strategists and entrepreneurs and marketers and chefs here at the Culinary Edge. And it was time to be able to create our own thing, to really walk the talk for multiple reasons. One was the consulting business is a 
dollars for hours business, right? And you eat what you kill. Yeah. The good times come and you've got to ramp up and it's stressful and the soft times come and you've got to scrape by. And it's not necessarily a wealth builder. And I really wanted to help our team members be able to share in something that could be a wealth builder. So we said, okay, we're going to create a brand that is relevant, that exhibits the skill and knowledge of the team members of the Culinary Edge. And we're going to go take this thing to market. So we have really applied our own creative process to the marketplace. And we identified a few sort of dig sites and buckets of potential. And the chicken space, and this is back in 2014, 2015, was a space that we just saw as ripe for explosion, right? This is while burgers were still doing well, but like, it was like, what's going to be next? And what we did is we created a company that had equity shares for all participants of the Culinary Edge, so everyone could have a piece of the growth and the pie. And we could also make our consultancy that much better. Like we're going to open a restaurant. We're going to live and solve the problems that our clients have every day. So it was really that combination of walking the talk, empowering our team members to build wealth beyond the dollars per hour mindset, and to really create the next new thing because we were so excited about it. You've got to imagine that they're these independent restaurateurs, a husband and wife sitting next to each other on the couch, listening to this interview. And one turns to the other and goes, did he just say he wants to build wealth by opening a restaurant? <laughs> right? And so I would ask you, I guess at the outset, as we talk about the visioning of this thing, how do you build wealth through the creation of a restaurant? What does that strategy look like? I mean, it's like any other business. You have to create shareholder value, right? And so the equation is for every dollar that's put into this business, what is the likelihood of a return on that investment, right? And so when we have gone out to raise money, whether it was our friends and family or more like CEOs and PE buddies from down the road who we've done a lot of work for, to our most recent partnership with Carp Riley, who's a private equity partner, who's just an amazing partner. We feel so lucky to have them as part of our Starbird family. And we're really part of their Carp Riley family in many ways because they're much bigger than us. It was to provide a growth vehicle, right? And the growth vehicle is important, not just to create money or returns in money, but to create opportunities for people. You know, we employ and promote more people in this industry and in this company than I've ever been able to do in anything else I do, right? And that feels amazing, right? To see someone who started as a prep cook become a supervisor and go from a supervisor to be a manager. And then they have their first kid and they're starting a family and then now they're a general manager and they're just, they've grown with us over the years. And that makes me feel like I'm contributing in a way to society that I haven't been able to. So that's not necessarily a financial wealth, but it's something that we're also creating in Starbird that makes a difference in the world beyond just the financial aspects. I mean, someone that's built so many brands have been so influential in the lives of so many restaurateurs and restaurant companies. As you start out on your next independent venture, and it's Starbird, I've got to believe you had to ask yourself that foundational question that I think so many of us were afraid to ask in the past, which is, does the world need another restaurant? And so I'll ask you, did the world need another fried chicken joint? Well, absolutely. They needed a different fried chicken joint. And we don't call ourselves the fried chicken joint. We're a chicken joint. We serve grilled chicken and fried chicken and that type of thing. 
what we really set out to do was to fix all the things about fast food that we thought were broken, <laughs> literally. And that started with being a fine dining chef. It started with the food, right? So what are the ingredients that we're using? And what are the recipes that we're applying to those ingredients to make delicious food? And um, someone coined this phrase like blending the positivity of what we stand for with the deliciousness of our food, you know, our tagline is positively delicious chicken, right? And we want to make an impact positively, you know, the double entendre of that, that tagline said so much to us. And it's really in many ways a North Star. So first and foremost, the food we were going to create in a convenient environment was going to be second to none. We tried out over a hundred recipes of our crispy chicken. You know, we've got a team of chefs here at the Culinary Edge. We had tasting after tasting after tasting, sourcing of the chicken itself, the brining that we use to brine the chicken, our dry, as we call it, our breading and battering system. Like every single step of the way, we set out to, to create literally the most perfect chicken. Obviously, you can't have perfection, but we strive for that every day in what we create. So the food was obviously number one. Number two is really about the frictionless experience from a technology standpoint. We have a hypothesis and had one originally that the traditional drive through is really broken, right? And as we see six, seven years later, that's finally evolving, right? Well, we at the beginning just said, this thing's broken. How do we use technology to reduce friction? And we've been able to implement a system that we don't even need a drive through We manage 85% of all our transactions come in digital. So if you can imagine that a non- drive through concept that does 85% of transactions either in the palm of their hand or the, the laptop of their computer. That also allows us to not have a huge footprint, right? It's very difficult to find land, certainly in California, where you can go and build a drive through right? They're few and far between. We're not saying that one day in the future, we won't have a drive through I actually had a call today with a company who's finally figuring out voice technology to be able to just say, Alexa, I want to order Starbird while you're driving down the road, order your food, have the AI interface work, and then you pull up to a window and they hand you a bag. And it's like the perfect seamless experience of convenience. We're working towards that as our next step. And the final thing that was really key and important to us was about design and aesthetic. We love beautiful design. I love art. I love design. And there was such a lacking of that in the QSR environment. And we wanted to create a space. And whether you're just walking in to pick up a bag or going to our fountain drinks or trying one of our house-made lemonades or iced teas, where every touch point that you see and looking in the restaurant really creates an aesthetic of comfort, I think of beauty and a place that you really want to hang out. And that's something that fast food really has never accomplished very well seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're going to learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of this as much as possible. When the well yeah. is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. 
I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. So one of the things that I think scares restaurateurs about technology is the sale involved with it, right? That you've got to convince your customer base. It's hard enough to convince them to come in. And then you've got to convince them to do business in a way that they might not be accustomed to. But your numbers are startling, right? 85% are doing business, not just differently, but in a way that you prefer. And so how do you do that? What does that internal and external strategy look like? What does that messaging look like? We opened up day one, as I mentioned, restaurant yesterday. It exacts 50% of all orders day one. And this is not, we have no third-party delivery happening. were conducted digitally. A third of it was through our app, our web presence. A sixth of it was on our kiosks and 50% actually talked to someone. So day one, we were at 50% digital ordering, which was incredible, right? And a lot of it is through outreach, through our pre-marketing to win new guests, right? We invite a lot of people to use our technology, to download our app or to order through our web or web mobile devices and entice them to do so. Give them a little something extra to utilize the technology from day one. And then they realize, wow, this is actually easy. I can guide my experience. I'm not feeling the anxiety of a first time in a restaurant, standing in front of a guest service person, having to make a decision. There's a line of people behind me. We try to remove that friction, that anxiety for the person who wants to go up there and speak with a cashier or a guest service person. Absolutely. We want to meet you where you want to be met, right? And we've done, a, you know, in our sort of, as we call it, our omnichannel approach to meeting our guests. There's so many different ways that you can order at Starbird. And we want to make sure that we are meeting the guests where they want to be met so that we can capture the sale in the way that they want to transact business. You can't be everything to everyone. We understand that. But when we find that over 10% are ordering through us through different channels, we have to pay attention to that. And we test and try new things all the time to validate the technology interfaces that we use. Where do expectations lie when it comes to the quality of the food relative to the expedience that it's needed. To share a personal story, I owned a dive bar in Hollywood, which was able to finance the fine dining restaurant that we launched that took hold and did really well after a while. And then we pivoted that into a fast casual fried chicken concept. And I had no prior experience in fast casual in the same vein that I had no prior experience in fine dining. But what I was shocked about in fast casual was how angry people were, no matter how good the chicken sandwich was. And we went above and beyond, man. Like we did everything. Uh, We opened at 11 a.m. and we had prep cooks in that kitchen at 6.30 in the morning. I mean, we went above and beyond, but the best fried chicken they could possibly eat was the one that was delivered to them in six minutes or less. And outside of that, 
it made no difference how good it was. So can you talk to me about how you've been able to reconcile that in your own business? Yeah, I think that people are patient and willing, if they observe a busy place and they see that people are working hard, they're moving stuff out, they know that no one is wasting time, right? They get angry when they see that a place is disorganized, when they've been forgotten, when no one's looking them in the eye, when no one is caring for them, or they're all the attentions on delivery drivers and not the one person who ordered standing in front of them. So a lot of this is we try and have our team members really look at the business from the eyes of the consumer. I was just literally at Hermosa Beach a couple of days ago, and I took our new general manager outside with me. I said, let's experience this like our guest is coming in. I go, what are you noticing right now before we even walk in the door? And what I was noticing was the music wasn't very loud or inviting. He's like, I don't know, it looks clean, et cetera. I go, is the music where we want it to be? Do we feel like a little bit more like I'm anticipating that this place has got some energy, right? And just like the perfect music level as you walk in the door and then you walk in like, well, what do you see? What do you see behind the line? What do you see people doing? You see that person has their back to the customer, right? Like all of these things to really live the experiences as a consumer is key and critical for the success of our business every day. It's also, once again, part of that empathy. Empathize with the person walking in the door. Talk to me about data. You guys use consumer data and trends in a really interesting way. Can you talk to me about how it influences planning and operations? Like I said, I'm looking at sales data minute by minute. I'm looking at what categories are selling. I was really curious, for example, day one, the chicken business, most people are in the chicken sandwich business, right? We're not in the chicken sandwich business. We're in the chicken business. Sandwiches actually happen to be our third category. We do salads are number one, tenders number two, sandwiches, and then wings in that order in terms of our categorical sales. So we're in a new market now. And typically when we open, chicken sandwiches always sell the most because people just, oh, it's a chicken place. They must sell chicken sandwiches, chicken sandwich, this, that, chicken sandwich, war, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be in the middle of that war. I mean, I want to serve an absolutely positively delicious chicken sandwich, and we do, but it's not our greatest differentiator, right? There's a lot of really good chicken sandwiches out there, and I think ours competes well. Where I don't think people can touch us is in our tenders and our salads and our wings, right? So we focus a lot of energy there. I'm looking at data, sales data to make sure that we're reaching the consumer in a way. And day one, it was perfect. Tenders was one, salads was two, sandwiches three, wings was four. That was our intention. And it came out that way. And it was all these different touch points, whether it be digitally, what we're showing the consumer first, or when you walk in the door, we had a big picture of a salad. We want to really differentiate that way. I mean, that's just on the food side, but we're looking at speed of service data on a daily basis. We're looking at costs and purchasing data. We're looking at how people are ordering or not. The data is key and critical to understand your guests and understand your operation to make decisions, to either lean into the things that you want to do more of or to fix the things that aren't being measured in the ways that you want them to be uh, achieved. How do you stay nimble? I mean, data isn't worth much unless you can actually utilize it. And I know you're utilizing it actively, location to location. How do you keep that lean, 
nimble startup attitude as you scale? Well, the first thing that's great is that everything is digital, right? So we can change a menu board like that. I was like, wait a second, why are tenders the first category on the kiosk right now? I'm like, IT person's like, boop, 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 change, you know, like we can just do things on the fly by creating flexibility. I think the other thing is just make shit happen, right? Just take the mindset that there doesn't have to be some big bureaucracy and make decisions, you know, gather input. I love to gather input from my team members. I love gathering input from my board of directors and just be decisive. And that's the way to do it. Trust the people around you and trust your instincts. That helps me be nimble. What's your growth strategy, Ben? Well, as I say to everyone, what's the best way to grow a restaurant chain? It's like start with one really good one. We came out of the block saying, we don't know how we're going to grow this business, whether it's going to be company owned or franchise or whatever it's going to be. But we wanted to create a brand that we knew comfortably could be operated by others. And so we did, and whether we chose to do it ourselves, and you look at Chipotle, you know, they're company owned and they could franchise if they wanted to. It's simple enough to do it. But on the flip side, we didn't know what we wanted to do until we proved it out. So our growth strategy moving forward is ultimately a hybrid model. We've just launched franchising. We're franchising most of the country, primarily the Western states to start. We're looking for partners who want to grow with us. We've got tremendous sales per square foot, great AUVs, and an unbelievable support team behind the brand. I mean, we definitely are punching at a higher weight class in terms of what we can accomplish and how we support our future franchisees. And then we'll also continue to build company restaurants. It's a proven model. The returns on investment are great. Our financial partners are very supportive of continued company growth. California is where we're going to be opening a lot of restaurants that are company owned. And we'll look more to franchising outside of California. I interviewed Todd Graves, the founder of Kane's Chicken. We're both from Southern Louisiana. We're only a few years apart in age. And he was privately owned for quite a while and then franchised and then decided better of it. And over the last several years, has actually begun buying back all of his franchise locations. And when I asked him about it, he said, listen, if a Kane's franchisee is running it 95% of what I think we're capable of doing, I'd rather own the unit. And so I see how strategic you are. And when you look at scaling this out through a franchise model, what protections have you put in place to make sure that the brand and the culture don't get diluted? Oh, that's a great question. First and foremost, it's being very selective. (laughs) You know, it's got to be a great fit. We're hosting discovery days every week of folks that we know. We want to get people who are very experienced. We're not taking sort of one-off franchisees, but we're not also taking the biggest franchise group in the world, right? Because they're going to be a little bit too far away from it. We want to get the right size group. That's the best fit for us. We're looking for folks who understand and appreciate culinary and food and the difference that food makes. And if it's just about cranking out widgets, we're not in the widget business. We're in the food business. We're in the delicious food business. I walk in and I taste every single sauce at the opening. I went down and did a line tasting every single item. Everyone's looking at what's he doing in here? What's he doing? You know, <laughs> had my spoons and I'm going to taste every single thing and just set the tone, right? That that's important. And the great news is everything was spot on. It was just like they knew I was coming. Well, that was good. 
the other thing is our training and our technology tools. You know, we're using something called Expand Share, and not that I'm here to plug them or anything, but it's been a great tool. We've got video of all our processes that people can learn. We do what's called a Goldilocks steps, where is it like too dark, too light, just right, showing a lot of visual things to show how things are right or not right. A lot of the how to do things, and not only the how, but the why. Like, why do you do that? Well, you shake the basket, not just to shake the basket and the fry, you shake the basket so that things don't stick to each other and that they have even cook times and something is equally, you know, just like they need to know the why behind things. So we do our best to create the right tools for scale. And then we've got a team members that are focusing on accountability. How do you learn? How do you become a better chef, a better entrepreneur, a better restaurateur? Well, I love to go out and experience things every day, right? So I love to be inspired. You know, at the Culinary Edge, we lead food tours for inspiration. I've been obsessed with listening to David Chang's podcast lately. I don't know why. I'm just like finding him as a kindred spirit, which is, you know, just I've always loved his food and his restaurants. I never knew that I'd really enjoy listening to what he has to say about food and the food experience. I've got a team here at the Culinary Edge that makes lunch every single day for our team members in our community. And I get inspired every single day by coming in here for lunch, breaking bread with others, talking about food, just immerse myself in that environment in for all the senses, the smell, the taste, the visual, all the above. What does winning look like for you in the future? What do you hope to accomplish for the balance of the year into next year, five years from now, personally? I always say I view my success through the success of my subordinates or my, I don't use the term subordinates, but the people who I work with and who work around me. So I just look out and if they are being successful at what they're setting out to do, I feel successful. That's how I judge my success. And if someone is not succeeding in what they're shooting to do, I need to look at myself and say, how can I either help support that person? How can I help that person find something else to do because they're not the right person in the right place? That's really important to me. When it comes to the scorecard, if you might say, like now and in the future, it's really about first and foremost, paying back the early investors, <laughs> really important to me, who put money into this thing and believed in it and helped it. I want to make sure that they're, they didn't put in money for their health. And so I went always respectful to those folks who have supported this business financially. And just, you know, to be known as uh, that Starboard really made a difference in the industry who changed the lives of the people who work there, changed the lives of the community and the people who visited and ate that food every single day and made an impact in our industry for being an innovator and someone who's made the food that much better, the experience that much better and the convenience that much better for our industry as a whole. The restaurant industry is filled with these unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Oh, it's a tough one. Yeah. I'm a little challenged today with the mindset of many restaurateurs who have a bit too much ego and just say, this is how we should do it. And you should eat my stuff. And like, you're lucky to experience this. I'm much more guest focused. I might be a little more old school and I'm wishing that the future world of restaurants is really a little bit more guest focused and not that you have to provide everything to everyone and compromise yourself. Obviously you want to inspire people to want to be there, 
but you're also there to serve these folks and ensure that they have a great experience. I just wish we'd see more of that in the mindset of the newer restaurants I see opening every day. A lot of them are make these rules and maybe some of it's not even for ego. A lot of it's based out of fear. They're afraid that it's going to rock the cart or something's going to break down or they're not going to know how to deal with it. But it doesn't always come off as being that gracious or caring. That's Aaron Novishin. For more on the chef and his restaurant, Starbird, visit starbirdkitchen.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.